0: Um, hi everyone. Uh, this is uh, Nikhil Torsikar, uh coming to you from Chicago. Uh, today, I'm speaking with uh, Dr. Josna Bhat. On um, so, I just want to make sure. I'm, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing that right because I've pronounced it ten different ways. But is that the <laughs> correct pronunciation? Uh,
1: Josna is fine. Yeah. Josna, okay. Yeah.
0: Okay. So today, I'm speaking with uh, Josna Bhat on uh, mental health issues in the uh, South Asian uh, community. Uh, Joe and I—it's—it's it's a funny story. We had actually gone to uh, college together. Uh, we're actually celebrating our—we're actually going to be observing our 25th. Um, uh, it, it'll be the 25th, 25-year uh, uh, reunion this year. I don't know if you're going oh. or not. <laughs> <It's really
1: laughs> we kind of lost awesome. track of time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, this is, this would actually be our 25 years since uh, since graduation. But uh, the interesting story is that. Uh, through social media, a, a friend of a friend had shared an article uh, that Josna had written uh, in Psychology Today, and so I thought it'd be interesting to pick her brain and connect with her and talk about an issue uh, that my wife Shelly and I are very passionate about, which is uh, mental health in the uh, South Asian community. And so uh, fortunately, we were able to connect and uh, we were able to get some time to further discuss some of these issues. So. Uh, Joe, I wanted to say uh, thanks to you for for joining, and uh, really looking forward to this discussion.
1: Yeah, no, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for reaching out. I feel like it's such an important topic, and we can't talk enough about it. Um, there's yeah. so much to be to be unpacked.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll go ahead and uh, tell the audience about uh, your background, and then I'll let you uh talk to shed some more light about it but uh, D- uh Dr. Josna Bhatt is a clinical psychologist and uh, mental health advocate specializing in the treatment of anxiety depression ADHD relationship and family issues and stress management uh, Dr. Bot has been leading has been a leading voice for mental health awareness and overcoming the stigmas that plague the South Asian community through her outreach articles and blogs she's been an invited speaker to events including Yale University's South Asian Millennial Conference, Active Minds at University of Rochester, Project Passport, and the South Asian Bar Association, and has been interviewed by ZTV, an Indian TV network, and Business Talk Radio on mental health awareness. Uh, So Josna, uh, welcome. It's Like I said, it's great to talk to you. And uh, yeah, if you wanted to add a little bit more or uh, update, uh, because this is a Dated biography from this morning, (laughs) but if there's any late-breaking developments you want to uh, to add to your CV there.
1: No, I think that's, you pretty much uh, hit it. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I would add now doing virtual because that's what everyone's doing since the uh, pandemic. That's become sort of the the platform for therapy. But um, yeah, I work with, uh, in New Jersey and Pennsylvania, I'm trained as a generalist. So that means I work with kids and adults. Um, and I've been having my own private practice for a little while now and really enjoy it. I offer, um, individual family and, uh, couples therapy. Um, and I also, like he said, on the side, I I do some testing for ADHD and I've gotten recently into corporate, uh, wellness, which has been a sort of a fun journey, uh, in in of itself. Um, so you know that's sort of what I do, um, and I really enjoy one of the things that is a passion for me is advocating for South Asian mental health. It sort of just kind of came upon me. Uh, sort of, I was telling Nikhil um, earlier that it's I became sort of just getting into this field as a South Asian. You sort of become like the poster child for your community, and all the aunties and uncles want uh, to maybe pick your brain or ask you to talk to a relative of theirs. And it's very been a very interesting eye-opening experience so far. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. So you and I talked uh, earlier, uh, a, little, a little while back about uh, the template uh, career path, I guess, for South Asians, which is either typically, you know, a doctor or an engineer, or, you know, I guess entrepreneurship is becoming more uh, in vogue these days. But can you talk a little bit about your path? And in terms of like, what you led you uh to explore uh psychology as a as a uh, profession
1: sure um i think i might have mentioned this earlier i it wasn't like a huge pinnacle or a huge moment that suddenly changed the course of my destiny in my life i mean sure it did it did change the uh, the direction of my life but not in a way that's uh, you know was very dramatic you know all of us, you know, are South Asians. We usually, when you're in college, you're expected to sort of go pre-med and Nikhil knows us very, is very yeah. well aware of this. Her um, favorite that, class, organic
0: chemistry. Yeah, organic chemistry so many, so many fond Washington, memories, right? <laughs>
1: Washington University is a very grueling um, program. Um, it's a top school, but when it comes to, you know, their coursework, it's very grueling. And especially if you're not into those classes. And I, I would say, uh, Organic chemistry was sort of like the weed out class. So you take it, you know, and you don't do well, you're kind of weeded out of the pre-med path. And I was happily weeded out. I don't think I even (laughs) tried in that class, to be honest, but um, it wasn't something I was feeling and it just was, my heart was not into it. And um, so I just, you know, tried a few psychology classes, did really, really well in them and began to, you know, recognize that this was another area of health. And I realized that it checked a lot of boxes for me checked boxes for my parents as much as it could and uh i started you know going uh you know applying for schools and um looking into field field work and some volunteer um you know things with other you know working with people and kids and things like that so that's sort of my journey uh going towards um you know being a, becoming a psychologist and um is definitely and like i the the one kind of unique sort of thing was wasn't unique but i think i started to recognize the stigma that was ha- that mm-hmm. was in the air in the South sure. Asian community you just yeah. you know when it you, yeah. you're at a party exactly it's in the water you're at a party and someone's asking so what are you doing and i'm you know i'm looking to do psychology and immediately there's this kind of restraint response from aunties uncles right. um even peers, you know, like oh, mm-hmm. what are you going to do with that? The number one question was, what would you do with it? And I yep. think um, that that's a, a very uh, interesting loaded question because it's like you rec- you realize, as I realized as I got into the field, there's so much I can do with it. It's not as limiting mm-hmm. as people, you know, would think it is. It is in every field of study. Um, psychology can be found in medicine, psychology can be found in entertainment, sports, law, you know, uh, health field, um, everywhere. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, it's, I I think it's one of the most diverse and versatile uh, fields of study. So I'm thoroughly excited that I took it. Um, But like I said, the air of the stigma, you know, was, was Sarah, it was so strong. And, uh, even in just people asking me, what kind of doctor are you going to be? And at the time I was looking to do sci- the PsyD program and people didn't mm-hmm. know what that was. Even I was curious myself trying to figure it out. And um, I yeah. remember like a, somebody a peer saying to me, Oh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think I want to be a real doctor though. Like a PhD, you know, <laughs> even that there was a stigma between a PsyD wow. and a PhD. Like what is actually, can you,
0: can you tell us a little bit about the difference? Cause I, I, I have some friends who are CIDE's also, and I yeah. kind of have a sense, but maybe, and also if I could ask you, maybe like just to shift a little bit the other way. Yeah. So i that? that part out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I just didn't want you to get uh, chopped off yeah, there. Sorry about No, um, no, no, you're good. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the distinction between CIDE and PhD? Because I've heard the term used interchangeably, but I think it would be helpful you know, for people to understand your background, maybe if there's a difference in the focus in terms of philosophies, maybe if you can give us a little bit of insight into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the main difference really is the, the focus on research. That was sort of the big kind of distinction back in the day, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. You know, research uh, PhDs are expected to publish, you're expected to you know, continue on some sort of research project, whatever it is, you're You're, you're publishing papers, you're writing, maybe writing books even, um, those kind of things. And with the PsyD and, you know, you're getting some clinical work. I understand that you're getting a lot of clinical work as well, but mm-hmm. with the PsyD, the emphasis was clinic, clinical. Um, it was a lot more of, you know, field work and um, getting, you know, seeing clients, seeing patients in different um, various fields of study. And, mm-hmm. but the PsyD program does want well-rounded clinicians. So we had to do a dissertation. We had to do uh, clinical comps and we mm-hmm. had to do, uh, when you, to get a license, you have to pass the board. Everybody has to pass the boards. So, and then you get matched with the residency, very similar to medical med students. So, mm-hmm. I mean, PhDs and PsyDs and, and sort of converge in some of those areas. But mm-hmm. I think that's the main difference is initially it is. And even now to this day, I would say it's research heavy.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. So we talked a little bit about uh, college and um, I wanted to understand a little bit more. I have my views and I think you and I have talked about it a little bit, but um, what do you think I guess is unique about the South Asian experience vis-a-vis other demographics, you know, that could be uh, folks who were born here in this country and, you know, have generations of family members here, not from another country, but, um, or other other minorities, maybe talk a little bit about that. Maybe it's just like what makes it unique and maybe how does that contribute uh, to mental illness uh, within South Asian, uh, within the South Asian community?
1: Sure, yeah. I mean, I'd say that, you know, any demographic group other than you know maybe African American, Native Americans, uh, to some extent, Hispanic Americans were different um, just because they, they weren't dragged here on you know on slave ships and they weren't forced here to come here. Um, yeah. Rather, it was almost like a, a place to seek opportunity. It was more of a positive sort of experience um, right off the bat. Um, you know, you were kind of thanks to the civil rights movement. You know, um, leaders were fighting for the rights of black people. And as you know, as the immigration laws were begin, were being written, so many, I, I was looking through that, um, that finally, you know, that we're, Asians were starting to get included, and so were South Asians, riding sort of the coattails uh, of this whole civil rights movement, and were able to be sort of added in. And especially um, when they started adding literacy laws. And, you know, places like India at that point, like you know, we're talking mid-19th century and stuff, were already colonized, speaking English. Um, so they were, they were able to sort of, you know, kind of have a leg up in some, in some cases. Um, so, I mean, you know, obviously India, immigrants from South Asia, especially India came really far back from like mid 19th century. They were coming from Punjab and, you know, working on the railroads and, you know, trying to, you know, uh, compete economically still were paying, getting underpaid, but Mm -hmm. it was later in the 1960s, I think where, you know, this huge group of South Asians started coming in and influx and they were like really you know fluent in English and you know high professional skills and their very you know level of education was very strong. and they were trained as mm-hmm. like medical doctors and scientists, engineers right. and university professors. even my dad was like yeah, university professor. Um, we went to England first and then came here, but he was you know faculty at Washu. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of allowed people to bring their families and sort of begin to have the financial means to own property and things like that. So really, you're looking at a group that was um, just highly educated and coming here to make make big money and have their dreams of wealth come true. And there's a certain status, as you might know, when you go to India and visit to be part of America or to be living in America. It's a pride that comes from the family of the immigrants. <laughs> Absolutely. The American is visiting, you know, like it's a big Rises. deal. Um, and this kind of added this layer of pressure for immigrant parents, I think, to just work hard and to be successful. It was a point of pride, and they really wanted to make mm-hmm. sure they were setting themselves up, but more importantly, setting their children up. Uh, and sure. they would stop but nothing. <laughs> to, you know, get at least their children to enjoy the fruits of their labor. You know, Mm -hmm. usually Mm -hmm. a lot of times they don't even enjoy it themselves, but they're just making sure that they're setting kids up. So with that backdrop, there's this tension and there's this pressure at home around academics Mm -hmm. and finances, you know, and just these growing issues between immigrant parents and their bicultural first-generation kids. I mean, here are the first-gen bicultural kids trying to straddle two cultures, not feeling right. like you fit in in India, Either not fitting one. in in yeah. America, and trying to, you know, kind of get, you know, figure out their schooling, figure out how they fit in, like, in, they fit and in. what their that's... identity is, yeah, and uh, I feel like that has been some of the, and that, you know, that's like 70s, 80s, 90s, like trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to straddle these two cultures, and also deal with what their parents are expecting from them, which is that, you know, the pressure of academic success. And, you know, it's kind of like, I think we were talking a little, we touched on a little bit in earlier discussions mm-hmm. about the model minority myth and.
0: Yeah. I was just going to ask that. Yep.
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, so really like, I feel like this model minority status is, is a big, you know, driver of um, stress. And (laughs) it's 100%, it it, it kind of puts this internal, external pressure, I should say, to kind of put your head down, don't stir the pot, Uh, no matter what is thrown at you, you know, you have to keep sort of pushing forward. And, you know, the tenets of, you know, forbearance, patience, sacrifice, fortitude, gratitude, like all of these things are encouraged and sort of, um made it to seem as the most important sort of values to have mm-hmm. um, and i think this idea of pain tolerance and tolerance of suffering is really huge yeah. um so there was a study done actually in, in if i can sh- just share quickly sure in, yeah, 20, in 2015 by this doctor who interviewed south Asians uh, in america and i believe in canada uk possibly as well about their tolerance for pain and mm, how they view okay. it and basically you know one of the main takeaways was that pain was not something that south asians deal with you know mm, you kind of okay. put it off right for a very long period right. of time even going to is that
0: that south asians all over the world or in specific regions or where, where was well this
1: he found this that you know he was looking at american uh, south asians in america south okay. Asian in the uk and i think india maybe Canada. Um, okay. So and, the
0: diaspora, then not so much yeah. in India, just kind of all over the world. Then, okay. yeah. Go ahead. Um,
1: yeah. So just how they, you know, we put off pain, you know, I don't know if you notice that in your own life with your own family, um, but just the idea of like going and to. A
0: doctor- and bear is kind of the mantra, mantra, yes. right? <laughs>
1: yes, definitely. So, you know, you just, you don't even go to a doctor sometimes until the pain is extreme or yep. we're at a very like sort of, last resort type of situation. And there, when they're given medicines, apparently um, so- South Asians, and I think this is probably very much Indian, Indian, uh, you know, South, uh, South Asian Indians, um, mm-hmm. they would just take very little pain medication, like just the bare minimum. Um, because this idea, I think of, I think there's a lot of beliefs uh, in religion, in spiritual traditions about the body being able to heal itself. Uh, or Mm -hmm. feel through Mm -hmm. natural sort of ways. Um, But it's very telling also though about mental health and how there's this notion that like such issues as depression or um, anxiety is just something you don't have to worry about. Yeah, it's a weakness. You don't don't need to be worrying about that so much. Um, You need to sort of dig deeper and sort of deal with it. Um, And you're right. They do look at it as sort of a weakness. You know, strength Mm -hmm. is, you know, the idea of like, Holding on and being strong and not being moved resilient by, yeah. resilient yeah exactly not being moved by these kind of you know bodily pains or mental you know sort of um, changes but you know it's 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 interesting and even sort of transfers in responses to like racism or prejudice acts that you know we have probably you or in your family or. You know have experienced i know we have had such experiences mm-hmm. in america and even in england but i think hassan minaj beautifully talks about this in homecoming I love Hasan Minhaj. He's, yeah
0: he's a genius <laughs> he's a
1: genius he talked really about how his family be- gets victimized by racism and his father was just quietly dealing with you know uh cleaning up the the glass that the races had broke of their car and and then wow. he didn't want to make a rust- ruckus didn't want to make a scene um and or stir the proverbial pot, so to speak, right? So right. um he's and he asked him like Papa, why or dad, why are you doing this? And he said, Lok meaning like what will people think? Like what will others mm. say? Right. This was um in that homecoming king special, if you've ever seen it on yeah. Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So uh, his like, show.
0: What is this show called? Patriot Act. I don't. Is that, Patriot is Act. That a yeah. That's his weekly it's, thing, right? Or, yeah. He hasn't. That. Okay. That's
1: no longer there. But um, that was an excellent show that talked about some of this yeah. stuff as well. He had a mental health um um thing uh segment as well. Um. Hmm. But you know, it's it's really one of the the main variables that you know what will other people think? Let's not you know stir the pot. It's it's one of those main variables that's sort of holding up this status of the model minority mm-hmm. um we don't complain you know we're found to be high achievers successful hard-working driven and we plow towards our goals you know we achieve them because of our you know our intelligence and our grit but on the way we're complicit in our own self-harm and Absolutely. the systemic racism that's around us we're complicit in that and we don't even realize that we're being tokenized Uh, you know, shown to other minority groups um, that, you know, look, these guys are doing it. They've made become successful. See, we're not racist. Um, Then this group can do it. Why can't you all get your acts together? And we, and we just kind of quietly say, hooray. Yes, we are awesome. Like we,
0: yeah. One of the things that um, I think you and I going to wash you, I mean, it was, it had a pretty big South Asian, population. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I, I think we were lucky in that we, you know, I, I wasn't super active in the Indian community, but, you know, I did have my group and uh, it, it, we were pretty well kind of integrated into the fabric, into the social fabric at, at college. But, you know, for a lot of people, even now, I mean, I, I'd say it's less so, but for a lot of people, especially coming from small towns, it was not uncommon, you know, for, for you to be like the only, uh, Indian person, you know, in your school or in your class. Um, now I know that's changed, uh, over the years. It's definitely a lot different now, especially like when we see, um, well, obviously we have a, you know, first, uh, South Asian, uh, vice president. I mean, obviously that's a big achievement. Yeah. Um, there's more, uh, people like, like you mentioned, Hasan Minaj, uh, Aziz Ansari, Mindy Kaling, all these people kind of making inroads, um, Can you tell me a little bit more, like what's your impression of how, you know, the greater integration or the greater assimilation of uh, South Asians into the social fabric in the U S like, how do you think that's played out with mental health? Because I think for me, especially, I mean, again, when I got to college, it was different, but it was tough growing up in a Midwestern town, which didn't have a lot of Indians. You know, I would get called up who from the Simpsons every now and then, like, Mm -hmm. you know, there was a lot of, uh, there was a little bit of antagonism and a lot of um, negativity, but I think that's changed. But I mean, how do you feel like that's played into um, you know, the, the South Asian experience with mental health, just that assimilation.
1: Yeah. I mean, d- definitely. I feel like there's, you know, it's, there's been more conversations. I think there's more um, it's gotten somewhat better, you know, in as terms of like op- more open communication, between parents and their kids, um, but s- I still see some of the scripts and narratives still being passed down, um, mm-hmm. and I think that just kind of it's it was such a it's such a strong uh, connection between immigrants and I mean there's it, it such a strong experience I should say between immigrants and their first gen kids that it's mm-hmm. it's definitely. Um, you know, carried on in some ways and plays out in some ways in first-gen kids passing on to their own, you know, offspring and their own children. Um, I definitely have clients and friends, community members, first-gen folks struggling with the accepting the idea of talking with someone about their problems still. That's still kind of a barrier for them. It's like sort of an embarrassment. And also because they think mm-hmm. about what they, what would their parents say if their child was supposed to was to do this, it's is it like an indicative, indicative, excuse me, of them not being a Problems, good parent? Yeah,
0: deficiencies, deficiencies,
1: yeah. like, um, you know, just and what would be the repercussions of like someone finding out, um, especially if there's like a marital alliance or something, <laughs> like, yeah, it's all these yeah. things, you know, um, I think that it's it's getting it's definitely getting better, and I agree that you know, it was tough, I think, for. I think more in the Midwest versus the coasts as far as like just not having people that look like you and having to acculturate and assimilate faster. I felt Mm -hmm. like that, um, you know, I came on the East Coast later in life and it's such a bubble here. Like Asians and South Asians can just be in their own sort of protective bubbles all, you know, and you don't have to really mingle as, as much with, you know, the outside world, which. I feel in some ways I'm I'm thankful that I had that experience of having to be more acculturating and assimilating, but at the same time, you know, it was tough. I think both, you know, there's something to, there's pros and cons on both sides for sure. Um, There's something to be said about having people who look like you and being able to Mm -hmm. be resilient that way or feeling strength in numbers and feeling empowered, Um, but you know just thinking about uh yeah i mean how have things changed um definitely the population of a lot more south asians coming through so and a lot more mental health that's coming out and people are more talking about this a lot more um and i mentioned this in my article as well that yes there are you know obviously so many people talking about this but it's still you know when you meet with families when you meet one in the field in the trenches talking to people there's still so much to unpack so much like that's you know goes on unsaid so much trauma passed on about this um so many barriers yeah, <clears throat> yeah.
0: no that's some, some some great insight there i think um one of the things that um i think you and i talked about a little bit but i'd love to hear more um, is just this dichotomy in the, you know, it, with, between Indians in the U S and then Indians, uh, in, in actual India. Um, you know, for me personally, I know that my experience that impacted a lot of my journey, because mm-hmm. as we talked about, there's this, uh, stoicism, or there's this tendency to regard anxiety or depression as a weakness. And it, it and, you know, sometimes it, you know there is a spiritual component in Indian culture, wherein you know if somebody is acting erratic or they're unpredictable or they don't sort of uh, toe the line, there might be some spiritual imbalance or some spiritual okay. impurities and whatnot. I mean it's 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 crazy, but still even to this day that seeps into a lot of the discourse that we have. Um, in your experience, what's what's been the difference, I guess, between like perceptions of mental health here in the U.S. versus India based on, you know, conversations you've had with relatives or maybe um, clients you've talked to. Maybe if you can talk a little bit more about how things are back in the motherland, so to speak, versus, versus in the U.S.
1: I mean, like, I can't speak to how it was back, you know, before, because I, you know, we'd visit and I wasn't even in the, you know, doing anything with psychology at the time. But, you know, um, I did go have a chance to speak at one of the colleges there. It was an all girls college called Etiraj College in Chennai. And it's a really Hmm. nice, uh, excellent institution. And they have a strong psychology department. I I spoke to, um, for the psych students and the entire department and faculty and, uh, mm-hmm. It's definitely become, it's come a long way as far as actually um, viewing psychology alongside medical kind of issues, psychological issues alongside medical issues. Um, but I feel like um, it, there's definitely, uh, it. Psycho- psychological issues often need sort of the advocacy and the uh, support of the medical <laughs> communities Yeah. and the medical mm-hmm. sort of, um, uh, you know, stamp of approval or, you know, advocacy, you know, that's the main thing. Um, but as far as, you know, the difference of how, you know, things are there in the motherland, or, you know, I can only speak to India, I feel like right. it's definitely come a long way. I know back in the day, they would, you know, the little I know, mental health issues were often dealt with, you know, by ignorant, ignoring, or just, you know, kind of keeping somebody off in a corner, or in their own sort of space, or put them yeah. in an institution. Yeah, there's this idea that they, you know, they they're just crazy. No matter, even if there was potential for them to get some help, there wasn't the knowledge, or nor did they take the time to, you know, kind of um, seek out or research what what could be happening, what they could do with it. But you're right; there, was, yeah. there is this pervasive sort of understanding about you know, the spiritual aspect of it, um, which influences a lot of um, folks, uh, particularly, you know, Ayurveda, and, you know, other types of, um, you know, uh, holistic medicine and things like that, where they do talk about imbalances. And, you know, while that can be used in actually in therapy, um, it can't be the only sort of guide. I mean, it is it is an excellent sort of um so compliment you know or, tool or compliment <laughs> for people who believe in that and want to use that um but it is it, it can't be the sole sort of um treatment of choice um yeah. you know you can't just sort of meditate away your depression that is one of the most impossible things as you probably know yourself yeah um, absolutely. Yeah. and and even just dietary things sure there might be things you can do I know Ayurveda talks about everything is in the gut and gut health, Mm -hmm. and I think that's becoming more of a sort of a thing here. It's becoming a fad here, actually, uh, about probiotics and stress
0: and things like that. More mainstream for sure. Yeah, Um, we talked. We and I talked about this a little bit earlier, also. what I found, what's interesting is that there were a lot of things uh, my parents provided for me and they gave me a great upbringing, great life. And there were things that they could have done differently. But, you know, on the whole, I'm grateful that, you know, I was provided, a, you know, the material comforts. Um, but what's interesting is I see that uh, there were things that they did that I would never in a million years do with my kids um, but what I've found very interesting is that a lot of my uh, compatriots or, you know, fellow, fellow Dacys, um, it's almost like they went through the same kind of experiences, um, but they didn't learn. And so the, a lot of the, whether it's, you know, consciously or unwittingly, it's almost like they're sort of repeating the same patterns, uh, whether it's that drive to achievement, whether it's that sort of, you know, let's push our, any, any sort of um, Dysfunction or any you know challenges under the rug. Um, what is your what is your experience been? I mean, in terms of observing uh, second generation Indians, uh, in terms of how they're learning from the lessons of the past, good and bad. But how are they sort of modifying the script uh, for their uh, for their own kids?
1: Um- You know, I think there's a lot of uh, you know more of the owning of you know their own negative thoughts. Um, The very Mm -hmm. fact that so a lot of times the the kid wants to come to therapy. That's the new Mm -hmm. thing, the teenager or the sixteen year old or the you know young adult in college. Um, And oftentimes, though, when I'm seeing like young people, like let's say you know middle school adolescents um, and high school. I'm seeing the parents at least a few times and not to necessarily do therapy with them, but to sort of give them some understanding of what's happening Mm -hmm. with their son or daughter, um, and some direction and some, and some strategies on how to parent and, in you know, give, you know, parenting tips and parenting guidance Mm -hmm. and, um, that will help, you know, their son or daughter, you know, improve, feel better, you know, those kind of things. And I think them just sitting in on some of those, they start to recognize, oh, like, yeah, I have my own sort of things, my neuroses. And many times they start to think, I think I want to see a therapist. I mean, it it comes with time and, you know, with, you know, kind of discussion and communication and, you know, the relationship I have with their child. And if they, they're kind of seeing that this is really making a nice difference. And they notice Mm -hmm. that, The things that they're going through, if they have the insight, is impacting their child, right? So they have to kind of have that awareness and that insight. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. And if they know that they have that insight, the next step is do they want to do something about it? And Mm -hmm. that's the next step. Will they actually take time to go to therapy or will they just sort of want to handle it on their own somehow or just ignore it and not do anything about it? So we have sort do of you, a spectrum. Do you find that
0: they're putting this, how do you feel they're doing in terms of like putting pressure on their kids, like to, you know, kind of like our parents did, do you feel that it's um, different or about the same or what's I, what's been your experience? Yeah,
1: I think it's a mixed bag. <clears throat> mm-hmm. I think it's, um, so it's, there's definitely parent, those parents that are still like, you gotta get into that Ivy league school think, and you gotta yeah. like, you know, you gotta, you know, make it happen. and. They're like carbon copy of what their parents did, even though they know it right. didn't work for them, but they're doing it because it's a script. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a script that's an kind of, you know, lays it out and it's like autopilot, excuse me, <laughs> <what that> was, <laughs> uh, autopilot uh, script that they, mm-hmm. you know, they go through. And, um, it's just, you, you know, um, getting them to recognize that sometimes they get they might get a little bit taken aback. It just depends on how my relationship with, is with them to be able to tell them and call them out on it. Um, but yeah, I mean, sometimes, like I said, some people have that and re- can recognize. I want to. I, I don't want to do this to my child. Um, I was invited out to speak to a community out in um, Fremont, California, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. one of the VC capitals oh, of yeah. the area. Yeah. Very <laughs> high achieving bases, Silicon Valley is there, as you know. Um, yeah, this was I think I have a
0: cousin. I have a cousin who lives in Fremont, and he's at uh, Facebook. So yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> familiar with that. Yeah,
1: and uh, I was talking to some of the parents, and definitely the the, the themes that came up were, you know, competition, you know, um, and you know, compare comparisons, comparing the kids to another child, and you know, this was done to me," said one of the parents. So this is just what I do. You know, this is what we all mm-hmm. have to do. Kids have to learn to get through and because you're always going to get compared in your life. That was one of the things right. one of the parents told me. And I right. said, I know, but that doesn't mean you have to pass that on. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's a healthy sort of thing to have to deal with, yeah. it, you know?
0: Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, it, it is interesting. It's almost like... Um, You've you've gone through something, you know kind of what it's almost like putting, you know, you drink drink some milk out of the fridge, it's spoiled. It's like, well, let me put it back and see if it's you know, <laughs> how it's gonna taste <laughs> tomorrow. I mean, yeah. you kind of know what you know, you see the writing on the wall, you've been through it, you've seen the movie, but you still, you know, kind of you know, you don't learn from the past. So so that's uh, yeah. Um couple things that uh with mental health, regardless of um demographic, but I think is interesting is There's always like there's two things that I would say it would be like a double edged sword. Um, One would be like social media, because Mm -hmm. it's interesting because for my interpretation is with social media, I want to I always try to start with the good. So the good thing is, obviously, there's the community, there's the access to information, there's the engagement, there's the connections that you form. Like, this is a perfect example. Like I, you know, I would have never thought to like connect with you about like mental health in South Asian community. The reason I did was because uh, Bhavna, our mutual friend, she had shared uh, your article on, I think it was either LinkedIn or or Twitter or something. But, you know, I, I look at that kind of serendipity. I look at that, you know, the just things that kind of happen out of the blue, which is just incredible. That's not something that we would have had, 30 years ago on Prodigy or AOL (laughs) or whatever those primitive social networks were. But (laughs) I I do have to say that's a good thing. However, obviously the bad side is just that um, there is that desire to keep up with the Joneses. There's that um, compunction to live up to this false, uh, idealized selfie ready uh, image. Um, Maybe can you talk to me a little bit more about sort of house social media and maybe how that's impacted um however you want to touch on it I mean it, the South Asian mental commu- mental health issues or just in, in general in your uh, in your practice and your experience yeah
1: I mean today it's funny that you mentioned it because today just on I think morning Joe they <laughs> were' talking about uh that again Facebook or I think well Instagram through Facebook um mm-hmm. is getting backlash again because the suicidal rates going up uh, I think sure it's, um you know, teenagers and um, they're like, why can't they do something about this? But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's, I don't think it's ever going to stop, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, it's just how much we can allow kids and, uh, you know, people to consume. I think it's, uh, but that's a whole nother kind of topic. I think, yeah, I mean, definitely the kids I see or the teens I see, the young adults I see, everybody is talking about social media here and there. And how much it does impact them sometimes it's mm-hmm. you know when they're depressed they're like i can't i can't even look at it i can't it yeah. really can't. or i find myself scrolling and scrolling and scrolling yeah. doom scrolling and just like how you know and and it's and it's you're all you're taking it in it, taking all of it in subconsciously it's impacting you subconsciously um and you know it, they do it right before bed and it's no wonder mm-hmm. you know the sleep is affected self-image is affected, appetites affected, all these things. Um, I, like, yeah, I mean, look, I'm not going to tell anyone not to or to look at social media or to not look at social media, but it definitely, there's a place for it. I mean, um, but when it comes, if you're already in a state of mind that's not, um, I guess, content or happy yeah. or, you know, if you're in a state you're of mind where you're, some you're, of you're predisposed these to depressive feelings yeah. or, um, anxiety depression those kind of things it can be really difficult it can definitely lead you down a rabbit hole of not good enough you know those core beliefs that sometimes come up for people i'm not good enough I'm not lovable enough um I'll never be as good as this person never as pretty as this person when it comes to like body image I know that's another one you mm-hmm. know I have to constantly have to tell my my teenage the girls that you know, that's not real or those are highlight reels yeah. and you know yeah. you could throw on uh, makeup and lighting and a dress and you would look the same do you really care you know that much yeah you know those kind of things um on the other hand there has been an i think uh just an explosion of mental health like support and education and resources and tools and holy smokes it's there's a lot and it's like South Asian mental health, you know, East Asian mental health, um, African-American, yep. Black Lives Matters, like so many things um, uh, you know, that are on there that have been really just, it's uplifting in that way and, and really sure. hope, opt, optimistic and hopeful and nice to see that there's so many people advocating and you know, doing the work um, and trying to sort of raise the consciousness, raise the awareness around mm-hmm. all the, these issues, um, you know, domestic violence, like there's just so many things that are being talked mm-hmm. about.
0: Um,
1: but you have to be accessing those things. Uh, right. You, you might not be, <laughs> you may be yeah. looking at I'd be looking you know, at
0: videos of cats and <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> and is also
1: really <laughs> nice and fun. And I think it, it's, it, it, if it relaxes you, that's the other thing. I feel like there's so many like lovely, you know, um, uh, sites on like Instagram and things like that, like the good news movement and just, you know, sort of more happier places to visit on, on the social media, but you have to sort of curate your, your, you know, viewing, um, sort of, uh, the grams that you view, right. You have to kind of find the yep. right
0: ones. Yeah. That, that- Absolutely. Yeah. So organizations, maybe if you can talk a little bit about, you had mentioned a couple in your, uh, in your blog post and we talked about some of them, but Maybe some of the organiza- like um, organizations that are helping address some of these issues of uh, mental health in uh, South Asian community, maybe in your experience, that have been pretty effective?
1: Yeah, I feel like the ones um, that I'm hearing the most about are like Manmukti. I know that's a big one um, uh, all across uh, North America. Um, I understand they're doing some amazing things uh, uh, for kids, for adults, Um into all different topics um that's that's a really good one um i i believe salt has been around south asian uh americans leading together and that's Mm -hmm. been uh they kind of dabble in all kinds of politics and, and culture sociopolitical sociocultural you know topics and things like that so um and i think they've also you know advocated for mental health Um, some of the other ones that I wanted to add, you know, were like Salmon, um, that's in Jersey, um, the South Asian, um, health, uh, I feel like it's, um, mental health initiative, you know, and, uh, yeah, they do free, you know, groups, they do medical camps, they offer, I think, alcohol and drug substance, uh, you know, um, groups and things like that and therapy and counseling, psychiatry, there's all kinds of support. I, they've really like done, they're doing a lot, I would say. Um, yeah. And then the some, a few other ones that I sort of saw casually on the on the um, internet where the, there's a Bengali mental health movement now. Um, their website seems really um, user-friendly and lots of their uh, resources. There's the division of South Asian Americans, or DOSA, <laughs> which is what they named it, oh. <laughs> which is part of the Asian American Psychological Association, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, kind of a nice chapter. Um, There's also I love (laughs) those. Yeah, I love those. Uh, It's a very clever, catchy title. Um, And then there's the Institute for Muslim Mental Health, which I thought was really nice um, to see. Um, There's a uh, young woman that I'm sort of working with um, for a project, and she uh, leads uh, virtue mental health. And that's a I did see that one. one.
0: Yeah. 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 And she, I think you mentioned it was uh, doctor, Dr. Dixit. Is that, uh, Oh no, no, no,
1: Uh, no, 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 okay. She's yeah. She's a, she's a student, um, that is young and doing all kinds of wonderful things. Um, working on this is virtue mental, mental you're
0: talking yeah. about or this is okay.
1: Virtue mental. Yeah. She's advocating for uh, mental health, um, with, you know, um, other young folks she's, she's got on that are involved in this platform and she is Bangladeshi herself. So Bangladeshi American and doing some great things. So yeah, yeah there's a lot of um, amazing orgs and also folks just suddenly there's like a, again, like a, like a, I don't even know the word, but like, it, all I can think explosion. of is just like explosion. Yeah. Of like yeah. of South Asian therapists um, and psychologists and, um, you know, it's great to see, uh, definitely, uh, South Asian I'm plugging them. They're really great. Uh, they are a directory that they've been building for a while now of South Asian therapists across the board, across the country, as well as I think they're also adding Canada, UK and India. Um, mm-hmm. but that is one that I am on there. And I also use that to help other people find That's therapists great. in different parts of the country. Yeah.
0: So do these therapists, do they specialize, like, are they focused primarily on like issues as they impact the South Asian community, or is it more like, um, maybe they're, they, they find that they are better able to connect with people because of the same cultural background, or is there any, or is it just a, like a general South Asian th- uh, therapist kind of, uh, community? Because uh, obviously, you know, if- Mental health is mental health, but I wasn't sure if they have like a specific, you know, where they focus specific, you know, where they focus uh, a little bit more acutely on South Asian uh, mental issues.
1: That That's a good question. I think the ones, the organizations that I meant, they mentioned are all like focusing in on their particular sort of population. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, like, I think I, I, not that they say no or close their doors to anyone else, but right. I think. Those are the people that they sort of focus in on. Um, The therapists and the psychologists, I think, are like me. I would say probably they see everyone. I'm open to everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm on psychology Mm -hmm. today as well. So um, I I get a lot of folks reaching out to me of all nationalities, religions, race, et cetera. Well, um, I
0: mean, I think that's so important just because – you know, even if it's not like a exclusionary criteria or anything like that. But I think your connection with your therapist is so important. And I think, you know, I I see a therapist and she's, you know, she's, I don't know what the PC term is. Is it Caucasian or white or what? Mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm supposed to say, but she's not Indian. Uh, But at the same time, you know, I, I do have a good rapport. At the same time, I think there are people who, if they're able to make that connection with somebody who's been through the trenches of, you know the the South Asian experience I think it can be a very valuable dialogue and it can um, you know it's all about common yeah. ground right and I think it's sometimes it is challenging for a lot of people who have as you mentioned lived in that bubble uh, to sort of relate to you know different uh, demographics you know
1: yes there is a, I think there's
0: gonna be a dis, I think there's probably going to evolve uh, therapeutics for spelling bee anxiety or something. It's, because, <laughs> it's like such a, such a big a uh, concern one. Yeah, in our, is, in our culture.
1: But, uh, There'll but, be a diagnosis uh, in the DSM. Yeah, but... you'd,
0: you'd, you'd, you'd be surprised. Um, no, so but, I think,
1: yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. no, I just, ahead. I just wanted to quickly add that, that, that a lot of people come seeking specifically South Asian therapists, if they're South Asian, because they've left their therapist that's not South Asian, to right. say, I need somebody who rec- who kind of understands the cultural nuances, you know, when I have an issue with my parents, like to not blame my parents, like kind of work through, you know, uh, both sides of it rather than sort of just blame upbringing or, you know, so it's kind of interesting that you mentioned that. It's a, it's, 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 yeah. a, it's a true thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, how, one thing I really liked about in, what, in your article, you mentioned the sort of the double-edged sword of gratitude because, you know, obviously... Gratitude has become a huge buzzword. You know, they have gratitude journals at Target. They have gratitude, like challenges and and all this stuff. But it can be sort of a, I don't want to say gaslighting, but it can be a type of thing where your parents, if you're struggling, if you're, you know, having stress with organic chemistry or those pre-med classes or spelling bees or whatever it is in the Indian culture, and they're turning (laughs) around and saying, you know, we came to this country with $8 and, you know, a a, a bag of... uh,
1: A bag of haldi.
0: You know what? How dare you? <laughs> how dare you? Uh, you know, uh, you know. Express? How dare you say that you're st- you're struggling? Um, can you what? Can you talk a little bit more about like how gratitude and you know the role that maybe how how that can be interwoven into the South Asian experience where it's you know where it's constructive as opposed to being potentially toxic.
1: Yeah, I think that happens a lot. I think gratitude, as we all know, is, is a lovely sort of virtue to have, right? I mean, and now, like you said, everybody's doing the gratitude journals and this and that. And it's yeah. it's very much ingrained in the South Asian community that, you know, you're grateful for what you have, you thank your blessings. And more importantly, you, you know, you're grateful for your elders to give you, you know, whatever they give you and that kind of thing. But um, sometimes, it, you know, where it becomes a problem is when, you know, you feel, you know, you're not necessarily feeling, you know, um, feeling good about something inside, you know, if there's something that you're you're struggling with, whether it's like going through some something um, disturbing internally, um, yeah. and um, you know, feeling like you need to seek, get some professional help, get some, you know somebody else who can kind of understand and relate and connect with you on that, whether it's, you know, depressive feelings, um, anxious feelings, trauma, whatever it is. And, um, this idea then when you go to your parents to say, I need to talk to somebody that feeling of, you know, that you're being ingrateful somehow by asking for that help as if, you know, and because there's this guilt that your parents, like you said about the gaslighting that, Parents will, may, could lay on you, you know, sometimes guilt, South Asian guilt is quite the trump card, but sometimes (laughs) legendary. Yeah. They'll lay on you. Like, like, how could you even like feel any of these things? How could you even like, like feel upset? One of my friends or somebody told me recently, the, the parents said to them, like, how can you feel anything but excitement right now? You just got into this top school or you just got this amazing job. Like, why would you feel anything but gratitude and happiness and excitement. And she's like, I'm going through anxiety. Like I can't, it's, and that's what people don't understand is that's very closely sometimes related to uh, excitement. It's um, physically, indeed. It's the same uh, symptoms, physical symptoms on a lot of times. So I think they've done
0: studies that say that people in developing countries have much higher levels of anxiety and depression than in, I don't want to say' third, developing well, nations because it's just this never it's like a rat race it's this never-ending need to continue to you know get to that next level of whereas people you know work with their hands it's the neuroplastic it's, it, there's 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 bio, there's the biological component yeah. to it um, yeah
1: definitely there's a lot more it's becoming because of globalization and westernization anxiety and depression are shooting up in other countries, you know, developing countries, so to speak. But it used right. to be sort of the, 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 diagnosis of the elite or like of the wealthy, um, you know, Freudian neuroses and anxiety and things like that were just like, you know, rich people's problems. And, <laughs> but now it's like, it's everywhere. Um, because we're all sort of in this rat race to, to continue to achieve and to continue to move forward. Um, But yeah, no, absolutely. That's where gratitude can sort of, you know, um, turn on you, you sort of backfire and sort of, um, you know, actually cause more pain (laughs) for the person um, who's feeling, wow, am I doing something wrong by Mm -hmm. going outside seeking help? Am I, you know, betraying my parents? Am I betraying my family? Am I, what will other people think that narrative again? You know, am I am I doing something wrong? And why can't I just get this together? Why can't Mm -hmm. I get it together? What's wrong with Mm me? Um, And yeah,
0: I did want to ask one thing. Uh, You talked about it earlier um, and it was an interesting sort of spin on it because it's this whole concept of uh, meditation and Mm. using natural methods and and, um, those techniques to supplement you know some of the the natural or some of the uh therapeutic um did i lose you yeah Yeah,
1: i'm right here hold on i don't know what happened (laughs) to the camera oh here we go you're gonna have to fix that
0: yeah yeah okay Okay. um so what i was saying was uh mindfulness and meditation for me personally um you know i'm in therapy i i find it to be very valuable uh but one thing. That I found is that it has limitations because you know if you're going to rely just on medication, that's going to be ineffective. If you're going to rely just on cognitive behavioral therapy and talking to someone, it can be effective. But there's ways to to combine it. But I think those two. There's so many pieces in what I call the mental health uh, toolkit, um, and I would I just want to understand sort of what in your in your opinion, in your experience, like what is the optimal um, pieces of a mental health toolkit? Because for me, um, like I said, med- uh, medication, uh, ther- talk therapy, that's been good. Uh, but I've just found that meditation and mindfulness, just simple things like paying attention to the breath. Um, mm-hmm. Nutrition is something I still struggle with. I mean, I, <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm growing up on Gulab jamun and, and Idlis and all this stuff. I have a <laughs> pathological sweet tooth, so that's <laughs> Yum, that I'm yeah. really struggling to shed, but, um, but that said, I mean, because that is, as you talked about with Ayurveda, that's a big part of it is nutrition, yeah. uh, but mindfulness meditation, I mean, those are things that mm. from our, you know, from our ancestors, from our upbringing, just the whole concept of, you know, harnessing that, um, you know, in the primordial sound meditation of chanting mantras and everything, can you talk a little bit about sort of in your uh, experience basically working with clients, like what do you think is sort of the elements, you know, the four basic food groups, if you will, of a, of a mental, you know, of a well-balanced uh, mental health diet.
1: Yeah. it's So that's interesting that you say that, because I feel like, um, at, you know, as South Asians, I feel that we have at our fingertips sort of the keys to the kingdom in some ways, mm-hmm. so to speak, sort of like yep. the yoga and the, the the gazillion types of meditations, um, you know the just the the overall sort of um you know in every sort of um not just hinduism i mean like in you know um other eastern thoughts like Buddhist and, and even Buddhism. in this in the in the sufi traditions too they have those mm-hmm. kinds of more uh, esoteric types of um uh spiritual uh, maybe meditative techniques and things like that so it's it is really Awesome. And it's become such a mainstream and it's become like yoga, right? Yoga moms, (laughs) yoga instead of soccer moms. Now it's like yoga moms and uh, (laughs) you know, it's becoming such a a trend here. And even in psychology, you know, mindfulness has become such a huge part and parcel of what we do. Um, It's taught in the, in the graduate programs. It's I was trained in it in my graduate school, Um, you know, to use it with patients, use it on myself. It's encouraged mm-hmm. as a self-practice obviously did, did you um, say
0: that they actually did uh have some coursework on that in mm-hmm. uh, in your graduate program um
1: yes there was co- it was coursework but there was mainly um field work um so mm-hmm. we were like okay. reading books by john zinn and mm-hmm. and really trying to apply those you know things uh the mindfulness-based stress reduction group and things like that and cognitive mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral uh, therapy and, and things like that. So that was an invaluable experience for me and also to bring into my own life and also to share with my clients and family members and friends and and whatnot. Um, but I think you're right in the sense of as I love the way you put it, you know, this what's a balanced diet and four food groups mm-hmm. and things like that. I don't yeah, know if it's for, yeah. but definitely um I got a trademark
0: that remind me to you, I gotta, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: I definitely agree that um depending on the severity of you know, a mental health issue. That's something that we also look at as clinicians, um, you know, even the thought of whether it's just therapy versus therapy plus meds plus therapy, plus a few other things. Right. So, I mean, as a psychologist, for me, you know, therapy is always going to be helpful. And and what's nice about therapy is it's not just, yes, we do talk, talk therapy, but there's so many other principles that we use um psychological principles and theories. And, um, you know, Trauma informed work is huge nowadays. Um, we we pay attention to our bodies because that's where trauma is sitting, right? So that's all sort of part and parcel of if you get depending on you know what kind of illness you have and what kind of therapist you have, what their training is in. But if you you know to get the full package of therapy, some of those things are going to come up. I'd say that's one sort of aspect. Um, medications absolutely have their place. You know, it's been researched and proven and um, science studies have shown that when you have moderate to severe depression or anxiety, CBT plus meds is the gold standard, right? Yes. So that's definitely something meds has, definitely has its place when it comes to ADHD, when it, when it comes to, um, you know, OCD uh, and any of the other sort of anxiety and, and, and uh, mood disorders and things like that. Um, that being those being said, you know, obviously, um, everybody should have, you you know, has their sort of go-to, um, alternative spaces and regimens. Mm -hmm. But I would definitely say that I feel like more and more now that we're going into, you know, body sort of somatic, you know, um, psychology and, and how we are paying more attention to our bodies. I feel like yoga fits right in. To that that For space, sure. so I feel like definitely um, more. Um, I I I tell my clients all the time: just simply doing a mountain pose, or simply mm-hmm. doing um, you know child's pose or um, tree pose. Just pick one. You don't have to do hours of yoga, and right. you know some start of, small. Start small. I mean, we have a, a a dear friend who's a master, a yoga master, um, mm. and learned under Himalayan, you know that those traditions and one of the basic things he'd say would would be just learn to stand and and balance yourself standing and feel the power and feel that power of like being a mountain um and to to be able to weather storms i mean it's just it's beautiful that's because that's powerful. literally yeah. what we're what we're doing when we're standing if we can find our grounding all these yeah. storms that come we don't move <laughs> we yeah. can we, we face them you know just like the, it's the same
0: thing with the breath i mean it's something that like I always say it's not like mastering some complex um, physics problem. No. It's literally breathing. breathing. And it, watching. I always laugh. I don't want to be flip about it, but I always laugh when people say, oh, I suck at meditation. And it's like, you know how to breathe. I mean, you know, you know, it's not something that you have to like rehearse. Right. It's literally just, you know how to breathe. You know how to count, count to four, count to two and count to four. I mean, it's yeah, just, however- it's so basic, but so powerful. Yes. So yes. that's what, you know, That's what really I'm hoping that, um, I'm just curious, do you feel that more practitioners um, are taking that sort of, I hate the word out of the box, but I'm going to use it, that out of the box thinking about like incorporating mindfulness or do you feel like it's still sort of slow to be adopted and uh, come into mainstream and not so much the cultural aspect, but I'm talking about like with uh, psychology and psychotherapy.
1: Oh, it's already here. I mean, it is already infiltrated everywhere. Mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Um, I think even some of the older programs that were more into the psychodynamics, and and I think they're also turning in some ways to mindfulness. I mean, it's it's, research has shown such amazing things, right? Uh, um, Yeah. With it, you know how uh, efficacious I guess it is, Um, and and it's just very um, an easy, simple but not simple (laughs) unless you keep it. Yeah. Yeah. Unless you keep doing it, you know, um, it's a simple thing that you can teach anybody. Um, And I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely like the breath, you know, watching the breath is a big one that psychologists use. We use progressive muscle relaxation, which is actually Mm -hmm. Shavasana (laughs) at the end Mm -hmm. of the day, which is, you know, corpse pose in in yoga, but that has become sort of um, tradition in, psych courses. That's what we learned that to do that. As yeah. Well as a it's funny.
0: I'm uh so I have three kids and and it's funny. Every night we try to, my wife and I, we try to bribe them to do like seven minutes of like a guided meditation on call awesome. or something like that. And it's uh, you know, we're batting about 500 there. So <laughs> sometimes we have to bribe them with uh donuts or nah. or, you know, Starbucks <laughs> drink or something, but yeah. you know, the ends justify the means, I guess. No, um, but yeah, I, I really uh, you know, I really enjoyed uh, speaking to you, uh, Josna. This was really uh, interesting for me and learned a lot. Um, Was there anything else you wanted to add or I'd love, you know, if people are interested, like how can they get a hold of you if they're interested in, you know, talking more about uh, some of the topics we talked about, like anxiety, depression and uh, ways for managing that, if you want to share that
1: yeah um i you can reach me at my on my web you can check out my website and you know it's bot psych so b-h-a-t-p-s-y-c-h.com pretty simple but and uh you know uh you and if you want i don't know if you will provide an email but um it's dr bot at bot uh you know all lowercase um but i'm happy to you know definitely i'm always looking for advocating uh for south asian mental health particularly um, but I do love, uh, the topic of psychology and I'm always, um, happy to share. Uh, I feel like we've covered quite a bit today. Um, yeah. and I hope yeah. we, I'm, but I feel like there's probably so much more, uh, to continue to talk about, but I'm so grateful. How
0: about, uh, social media. Are you on any, uh, any channels? Yes, I you, am. I'm like on Instagram
1: you? and, uh, I have a Facebook page and Twitter as well. So you should be able Perfect. to find me with my name. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much. Nikhil, this was uh, such a treat and a pleasure to be here and really uh, had a nice time chatting about all this. Yeah, no.
0: Yeah. It was a pleasure. Thanks. Thanks again. Thank Costa. you. Have a good one. Take care.